designing creativity and deep entrepreneurship based podcast i've got michael jenda agency veteran business coach best selling author of burn your portfolio and a millionaire designer welcome to getting started krishan kumar sir oh i'm so excited to be here we've been talking about this for a few months and so it's <laughs> it's exciting to finally yeah. have it happen thank you for having me on your show Oh thank you so much for coming really means a lot to me. Okay so well I want to know what is the secret of creating an agency empire and by the way can you give give an idea to the audience like what is the what's the creative agency basically do? Uh what does a creative agency basically do? Yeah. So so uh my creative there are a lot of different types of creative agencies and my creative agency we started on the foundation of design we were designing logos and websites and print materials and things as my agency grew we started getting bigger and bigger projects from our clients once our clients trusted us with small things they started to give us big things and our clients really forced us into expanding our services now as a small agency you can make um agency work on just doing design work you can design logos and design a website and things as the agency grows and you start to add staff and overhead you really need to start expanding your services which we did at my agency we started offering enterprise level website design and development so our projects that were once $10,000 became $100,000 projects and $300,000 projects that were 6 months long and it came out of the natural evolution of clients trusting us and asking us to do bigger things another thing that happened uh we started having to add strategy services we started adding adding brand strategy marketing strategy we started to try to add uh paid marketing services ongoing marketing where we're doing google ads or seo other services ongoing for clients basically a creative agency um small creative agencies are usually design centric and bigger creative agencies usually start offering a more broad scope of services oh wow well this is literally something we are actually planning to do in the upcoming months and you know may- maybe in in next year so like that's a massive your knowledge is just drop here okay yeah Uh, well i want to know about your early days like before getting to the actual riser story so like i want to know like did you always wanted to become like a, a agency veteran like how did it how did it all start no you know i was an agency a, a creative entrepreneur by accident i uh in 2002 mm-hmm. i was working at fox studios in los angeles and hollywood and i had friends there that started working at disney and started working at sony and warner brothers and they started giving me freelance work mm-hmm. and my freelance work is what turned into my agency but i never not until like 3 years into my agency did i say okay i'm going to build an agency before that it was always just I need freelance work so that I can pay for my kids to have food on the table and I can fa- pay for my home. I'm just working to have income so I can pay for my life. 
Okay. And I did well as a freelancer, well enough that my business kept growing. I kept increasing demand. Mm-hmm. My clients stayed with me. They started referring me to other clients. And that demand is what created my agency. And I didn't really realize it until probably two or three years into freelancing, I started to say, oh, I think I got something here. I think this is more than just a freelance business. Yeah. This is this could be an agency. And I started to look around at agencies and I started to dream and envision what my freelance business could become. And that started to motivate me and inspire me to start hiring people, to start expanding services, to start building it intentionally instead of accidentally. I think I was an accidental agency owner is what happened to me. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Okay. So like, I want to know, like uh, from a freelance designer to the owner of Riser, I want to know like what happened, like, like how this big transition happened. Like, uh, as you told, like you'd never wanted to create a a massive company, but How? Like, what's the key point in there? Well, do good work Mm -hmm. and be nice to people. It's such a cliche that that I've seen a whole bunch of different places, but it's so true. And that's all I did in the early days of freelancing. I just wanted my clients to be happy. I wanted to give them a ton of value for the money that they were spending. Mm -hmm. I wanted to give them good work and a good customer experience. Okay. And that was just, that was my goal. I was never sitting there thinking, okay, I want to get every little drop of profit I can out of this client so that I can hire people and grow Mm -hmm. this business. I never borrowed money or had investors that uh, came in and said, okay, let's invest and let's grow this thing. And I never had any of that. I just bootstrapped it out of a freelance business. The transition really started to happen I, I started hiring some of some production people. My very first few employees were just extra arms for okay. me, extra people who could, I would design the first page of a website mm-hmm. and then I would get that approved from the client. And then I would hand it off to my design production designers and they would design the other 10 pages of the website based on my initial design. Okay. That was kind of the the strategy I had at the start. I would design one or two logos for a logo project mm-hmm. and I'd have my production designers design one or two logos and then when the client approved a logo, the production designer would make all of the logo variations and make a little mini style guide and things just using templates that I had created. Okay. So that was kind of the process. I was just hiring production. Hmm. But as it started to grow and build, that's when I started to realize, okay, now I've, I've got other people producing work. Now I need to outsource or delegate yeah. what I'm doing on first comps. I'm, I need to delegate art direction. I need to delegate creative direction. And I started mm-hmm. hiring higher level people to manage my production design team. Okay. So like uh, when you started out, like when you decided to create your agency, to build your agency. So Mm -hmm. I want to know like what was in your mind at a very human level? Like, uh, are you nervous? And like, uh, do you think like uh, when I, if I start this agency, like, do you have some kind of hope in your mind? 
like i know like you have your strategies and yeah. your finance yeah. plan but sure. at a very yeah. human level like i i have i need to like run a team with me and yeah. what if it fails like at a very human level like what was in the your very human it's a good question <laughs> the very human level i was scared to death i was so scared of hiring people and having being responsible for mm-hmm. 10 employees and their families or 12 or 15 we got to 20 people at my agency before i sold and i was so scared about in the early days about hiring the first five people or so it was it was scary to me so the okay. human level was just natural fear and it came mostly from financial worry mm-hmm. that most people in the world just want to they want to support themselves and their family they have a spouse and children yeah. and they just want to make sure that they are supporting the family that they're responsible for that's the majority of the way that people think and when you start to feel the pressure of supporting other people's families yeah. on top of your own then it gets it gets scary if you really care about people it gets yeah. scary If you don't care about people then you can hire people and you can fire people and lay people off and it has no emotional yeah. effect on you. Yeah. I wasn't built that way. I was built in a way that um you know when I hired somebody I wanted to hire them long term. Mm-hmm. I wanted this to be a great job for them for the next 10 years of their career. Okay. I wanted it to work. Uh so the human level of me was was really fear driven. Okay. So do you think like uh, having this emotion in your mind like for the uh, other people like is it a good thing for your agency or is it bad Um I think that it inhibited some of my growth my agency grew and it was successful and I'm really really pleased with my experience mm-hmm. but I think the fear of that human level fear inhibited me from taking some risks that I I should have probably taken in the early days. I should have hired people much sooner than I did. I should have hired more people when I first started hiring people. Uh but I was always just erred on the side of being overly conservative, especially in the early days of my agency. And why is that? Like why you feel like you should have hired people like I would have grown faster and bigger if I would have been more aggressive. with the okay. growth of my agency. Oh, okay. I got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And I want to know like how did you build Riser? Like what are the crucial steps you take in your agency that Okay. That's a great question too. Growth? So I I read the book The E-Myth. I shout out the book The E-Myth. Um it's by Michael Gerber and mm-hmm. it really changed my mindset and I talk about it a lot in my content but There's a quote in it that says systems run the business, people run the systems. And that yeah. epiphany was a a big paradigm shift for me in my head. Okay. So I started to create systems for everything that I did, the way that I did work, the way that I wrote emails, the way that I sold to my clients, the way that I created proposals, everything that I did had a systematic checklist. Mm-hmm. that somebody else could follow 
And I systemized everything in my business, every type of project and every other system that we had from financial systems to production systems. Mm -hmm. I had checklist systems for everything. And then I was able to hire people and say, here's the system. Okay. Let me train you how to use the system. And you just follow the system. And if something breaks in the project, if the client's not satisfied, we're going to look at the system and see what is broken in the system. And a lot of businesses make the mistake of thinking, oh, Joe was doing this project and the project went bad. Joe's a bad employee. Yeah. That's almost always not the case. Most of the time, Joe would have done a great job if Joe had a good system to follow. And it's the responsibility of the entrepreneur or the agency owner in this Mm -hmm. case to create the systems for other people to follow. Okay. Like, can you give a, like a rough idea? Like, uh, like what's the system? Like what's the system? system? Yeah. So I, let's just take a project. For example, I break all my projects into phases. So each project has a phase and inside of each phase, there are rounds of delivery and inside of each round of delivery, Mm-hmm. there are checklists of items that need to be executed on to achieve that round of delivery. Okay. So let's take an, as an example, a logo design. Okay. And phase one of a logo design would be research and strategy. Okay. Let's just, I'm just ball, bring, brainstorming out loud as we talk here. So research okay. and strategy is phase one. The rounds of delivery inside of phase one of a logo design would be number one, we're going to have a strategy meeting with the client. That's round one. And round one, the checklists for round one Mm -hmm. are the agency will do pre-research before the meeting to research the client's competitors and derive some initial insights. Mm -hmm. During the meeting, the agency will discuss the client's target customer, discuss the client's market position, discuss the client's preferences on colors and design styles. Mm -hmm. That's round one. So we're going to do this, this, and we have those checklists that achieve round one. Now, round two of phase one would be mood boarding. Now that we've taken, we've gotten the client's initial feedback We're going to create some mood boards that we feel will reach the target customer. These logo design styles will reach the target customer, differentiate from the competitive landscape, the competitors, Mm -hmm. and uh, represent the client effectively, the client's brand effectively. And in the mood boards, you you have different checklists like designer will go to Pinterest, Behance, and Dribbble. Mm-hmm. And find logos that match the style that we feel are appropriate based on the research that we did in round one. Okay. The, the production designer who finds the Pinterest mood board items will review them with the art director of the agency for internal review and feedback. Okay. Then the designer will put those mood board items into a, the template that we have to deliver them to the client. And then 
the round two delivery of phase one will be present the mood boards to the client. And you get on a Zoom call and you walk the client through yeah. the different mood boards and the different ideas that you have. So that's an example. So you break it from phases mm -hmm. are your overarching uh, sections of a project. Yeah. Rounds are the deliverables and then checklists for each round. How do we execute on that round? Okay. So that's the idea of a system. Now, when you go and start delegating that to a, an employee, yeah. you just have to make sure that Jenny knows mm -hmm. that she's going to go to Pinterest, Behance, and Dribble to find mood boards. She's going to know that she has to get approval from Shashank before she sends them to the client. After Shashank approves them, she's going to know that she uses the template that Shashank created yeah. to deliver them to the client. And then she's going to schedule the Zoom call. She knows what she has to do to execute on that round. Okay. And when you think about business, business, a lot of times the, the entrepreneur just says to the designer that they hired, okay, we greenlit this logo. Now go design the logo, make it a good one. Yeah. And that's the system that so many people are using. And that's a system that is not going to help you grow to an agency. That's just you hoping that the designer you hired is good enough to execute on work at the same level that you do as an agency owner. Well, if they could execute on work at the same level that you do, they would be the agency owner yeah. hiring you. So yeah. you have to recognize your own expertise and you have to systemize the way that you do things and then train your employees to do it the way that you do it. Okay. Well, that's a massive knowledge bomb you gave here. It was a massive knowledge bomb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to know like how you got those big clients and for the listeners, just take a, just uh, take a company in your mind, just name a company in your mind. And the chances are they already work with Michael Janda. So like, <laughs> yes, but Michael Janda was once the listener of a podcast like this. Actually, I started yeah. my agency before there were podcasts, but the point is, is that I was nobody. I didn't, I didn't have big clients until I had big clients. I didn't know anybody that got me into the open doors until I knew people now, the way that you get big clients, there are two different ways that you can get big clients. Number one is you can get big clients based on reputation. Yeah. If you build a reputation as one of the great designers, you build a huge audience on social media, you start speaking at design events, mm -hmm. you get your work published in magazines, you get, uh, you know, you get in Communication Arts Magazine, you start building reputation and awareness. You win agency of the year for ad age reputation. The big clients will find you in that situation. Now that's okay. unrealistic for most designers in the world. There are millions and millions of designers in the world. And it's unrealistic that you're going to be able to build a reputation so great mm -hmm. that Nike is going to come to you yeah. to ask you to do work. It's yeah. not a realistic dream for most people in the world. So the alternate option of getting big clients is relationships. And that was the approach that I had. I didn't understand this when it was happening, but I, I see it clearly now. Relationships. I was fortunate to 
land a job at Fox Studios in Hollywood. I was working with a team of 50 people. I was good to work with. I liked the people that I worked with. I worked hard and apparently impressed enough people that when some of my coworkers who were my friends started to go and work at other Hollywood companies like Disney and Warner Brothers and Sony, my first three clients, uh, they started to call me because they had a relationship with me. And they said, hey, Mike, I have this project. We don't have internal people to do it. Can you do it as a freelance job? And I, I was like, yes, definitely. And those relationships are what started to build my agency. It started with three people, three clients. And then over time, I was doing good work for them. They referred me to other internal teams. Those other internal teams, I built relationships with them. Mm -hmm. Then I had um, employees from those teams leave to go work at some other company like NBC, for example. Then all of a sudden I start getting work from NBC. Then I had somebody from Disney change to go work at YouTube and we started doing work for YouTube. So just as an example, it just became this relationship-based growth. So you have two options to find big clients. One, build a reputation. Two, mm-hmm. build relationships. Now, okay. in social media world, building relationships is easier than ever. Okay. Find, pick a client that you want to work with. Okay. Let's say, Shashank, you want to work with Disney. Okay. That's your dream client. Okay. Go and start connecting with people at Disney on LinkedIn connect with them and say in the design creative team and say, Hey, I've always been a huge fan of Disney. Thanks so much for the work that you're putting out there. I love seeing the brand of Disney grow. And you just start, you don't say, Hey, I always wanted to work at Disney. Can you send me work? That's never going to get you anywhere. Yeah. That's not relationship. That's kind of one-off hard sale. Yeah. You want to build relationships. So just start to meet people online who work at the companies that you want to do work with. Build relationships over time. Post work for your business that matches the needs for their business. Disney, if you, Disney's never going to hire you if you're not showing other entertainment industry work. If you're not able to show that you can design projects that match the style that a Disney wants, Mm -hmm. they're never going to hire you. So you've also got to look like what they're looking for and build relationships with those people. Okay. So it's a slow and steady process. Slow and steady process. Okay. It is. uh, But relationship and reputation is the only way to get big yeah. clients. Right. There's just no other way to do it because there's there's too much competition. Yeah. There are too many Michael Jandas out there that have friends working at Disney yeah. and can get work. They're never going to hire Shashank over Michael Janda. Yeah. Even if Shashank does better work than Michael Janda, they're going to hire Michael Janda because Michael Janda is their friend. Yeah. Now, if Shashank becomes their friend, and does the same quality work as Michael Janda, Shashank has a great chance of landing work for the same type of client. But you have to have that foot in the door through yeah. a relationship. Yeah, like people do business with the with other people, it's not with the company. Yeah, 
<laughs> exactly. People do business with people they know, like, and trust. That's yeah. the cliche quote. And it's so, so true. Yeah. Uh, I believe having strong ethics in life is like uh, actually very likely to create a generational wealth. Like uh, these days, like people want to generate money very quick. So I think like they can generate money very quick, but they won't last as much as if you follow your ethics. So what are your yeah. thoughts about that? Oh, I'm such a fan of that too. <laughs> I um, Get rich quick is not going to happen for almost everyone in the yeah. entire world. G growing in wealth is smart decisions made over a long period of time. That's how you, that's how you grow wealth. Yeah. And I saw this happen at my agency. You know, I was, I was billing a lot of money and mm -hmm. I had huge overhead. I was billing millions of dollars a year at my agency, but I was spending millions of dollars a year supporting the business. And I had big profit, but I had to leave so much of the profit inside of the company for so long yeah. that I didn't feel wealthy <laughs> until 10 years, 12 years into growing my agency. I finally started to feel like, wow, I got a lot of money built up here. <laughs> but in the early days, I was building a lot of money and I, I didn't have, I didn't, I wasn't able to keep enough of it <laughs> to make it be like, all of a sudden, year one, now I'm a millionaire. It wasn't like that. It takes time over time, smart, smart financial decisions over time. And, and I believe you mentioned it in integrity and ethics. Um, yeah. I believe that I would rather die poor with my ethics and mm -hmm. my integrity in place than rich with a whole bunch of people that I scammed out of money yeah. along the way. I, I think money um, is not valuable enough to sacrifice your ethics. Yeah. hundred percent. So true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you sold Riser after 13 years, right? Yes. So why you sold a company that is growing at a massive rate? It was time. I was the sole owner of Riser. Mm -hmm. I had, I had built enough. It, it came out of risk and reward. So in the early days, as I was working and building up my net worth, and I was having a lot of income, um, I was willing to risk my time and energy toward the business to grow it. Well, after 13 years, all of a sudden I had enough personal growth mm -hmm. and, and personal wealth that I started saying, you know what? I don't need to risk this anymore. I don't care. I'm not trying to be a billionaire here. That's not my goal is to be a billionaire. My okay. goal was to have, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for what I have in life, but I didn't need more. And so I started to look around thinking, okay, if I'm not trying to grow in my net worth anymore, I'm not trying to, um, and, I, and I had accomplished all the things that I had hoped to accomplish with my business. I had a cool studio. We had won all the awards that I had hoped to win. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was at the top of the mountain that I wanted to be at. Mm -hmm. And once you're at the top of the mountain, where else do you climb? 
that's the question. So you climbed, in my perception, what was my Mount Everest. So your question would be like asking, okay, well, you got to the top of Mount Everest. Why didn't you start climbing higher? Well, in my perception, there was nowhere higher to climb. I had achieved everything that I wanted to do. So the only choice was to start climbing down the mountain, sell my agency, and then choose a new mountain to climb, which is what I'm doing now. My new mountain, I love doing what I do. I love being on podcasts like this. I love to create content that helps and inspires and motivates and educates my my fellow creatives. Mm -hmm. I love making courses and teaching and training people. I love coaching creatives and digging into their business and helping them through the hardships that they face. I love the mountain that I'm on right now. And I think so that that's the kind of long-winded answer to say, I had achieved everything that I wanted out of Riser and I wanted to climb a new mountain in my career, which is what I'm doing now. Okay. So currently you're climbing a very high mountain. (laughs) Yes. I'm climbing a a mountain that's very high and I love the mountain that I'm on. And I, I hope to do this the rest of my career. I, I, I just, I love it. And I've got another, you know, 20 years of, of working as a creative probably before I decide to retire, <laughs> but I, but who knows? I mean, I, maybe I'll just keep going after that. It's, yeah. I just love what I do. I love what I do. If you love what you do, then why ever stop? You know? Yeah. Then it's not work. <laughs> It's not work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and most of my days don't feel like work. Mm-hmm. This is work right now for me. Being yeah. on your podcast is work, but it's not work. I love doing this. You know, <laughs> Thank I, you. I, I and I don't get paid any money for doing yeah. this, but I love <laughs> doing it so much that I'm happy to to do it. And uh that's that's where I think that's real wealth in life. <laughs> that's getting rich. Yeah. If you can do what that's you cool. love to do, yeah. you're rich. Yeah. Exactly. Hundred percent. Okay, so I want to know, like, you sold your company to a competing competing agency, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. and and you become the the one of the fourth co-founder in their company, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So like, yeah. uh, how do you know like these people will help you grow or like uh, they they these people are the good ones to work with? How to find good co-founders or the co-partners? partners So they, uh, I knew them for a lot of years before we before I sold my agency to them. Hmm. Uh, They were my friends. Uh, I think it's in the art of war. Sun Tzu is says, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Yeah. And uh, I always, that wasn't the quote that, that motivated me to do it. I love making building relationships, but I knew the agency owners in my area. We're in a city of over a million people, which is nothing compared to New Delhi, but where you live, but the, but it's still, it's still a lot of people and a big business community. And I knew most of the agency owners and they were my friends because when I would meet them in some interaction, I'd say, Hey, we should go to lunch sometime. You want to grab lunch together? And we would have lunch. And so I built a relationship with the CEO of the agency that I sold to over Mm -hmm. a decade of time. And uh, when it came time for me to say, okay, I, I'm thinking of doing something else, I reached out to him and said, hey, I'm thinking of either retooling my company or selling my company. How are you guys doing? And would you be interested? And they were, and they 
they purchased my company and we made the conglomerate agency of their agency that had 50 employees and my agency that had 20. And we became (laughs) a 70 person agency and grew to 80 people. And, um, and it was fun for, I, I did it for two and a half years after I sold and it was a fun, a fun adventure and they're great people and they became great friends of mine, the partners. Yeah over there. One of them is one of my best friends now after having worked with him for a few years. And uh, so how do you find great co-founders was the, was the question? Well, build relationships with the people that are doing similar things to you. You, You own an agency right now. You should know the people within the you know, yeah. 20, 30 miles of where you are, you should know all the other agency owners yeah. because who knows what happens in the future. Yeah. You buy one of their companies, they buy your company, you just decide to merge companies. Yeah. There could be all kinds of things that happen, yeah. but it happens through relationships over time. Not, uh, usually it's not cold, a cold relationship that that mm-hmm. happens with. Usually it's somebody who you've built a relationship with over time. Yeah. So building a relationship is a very crucial step in your life. Crucial. <laughs> crucial. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it is for all of business. I think that it's yeah. relationships are at the heart of business. Like you said, it's people doing business with people. Yeah. It's not people doing business with a with a company. Yeah. We gotta look at it the way it is. It's people and people. Yeah. yeah. And I believe that the competition happens only in sports. Like there are no competitors in another field, uh, like the business or like teachers. There are no competitors. They are just, you can do collaboration with them, but you don't compete with them. (laughs) There's enough. It's an abundance mentality. There is enough work for everyone. Yeah. There's enough work for everyone. Uh, And I I look at it that way. And if my competitors, it is competitive in that if I'm going head to head with Hmm. one of my competitors and they win, I'm like, Oh, dang it. They won. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that my company is going to fail. There's plenty of work opportunities for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to know, like, what is your biggest failure in your life and what did you learn from it? (laughs) (laughs) I just posted uh, I just posted a post on Instagram two days ago or three days ago that was the some of the biggest failures that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were the, the biggest business failures. I had, I think the biggest one was a client who we said yes to when we should have said no. And we didn't control the scope of the project well enough. And the project became so stressful and burdensome that it caused one of my key employees to quit. Oh. And when he quit, I started digging into the project that he was managing and mm-hmm. found that we were losing money, that the client's scope was all over, that they were behind on massive payments. And I ended up having to fire the client. But that, that, cost me probably $200,000 or more in financial losses that one client. And it was because we said yes, when we should have said no. Uh, A lot of times that's, that's where the mess happens. And I think we have to just be super careful when we vet our clients to make sure that we know, and this is where creatives mess up a lot. We yeah. go into it thinking, I just want to get this work. I just, I want it. I want the project. Give me mm-hmm. the project. I want any client who will pay me. 
Yeah. Well, some clients, you're better off not working with them than working with them. And it's you're better off saying no and saving yourself from the losses that they will cause rather than saying yes on the hope that their the income will be profitable to you. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was that was one of my biggest ones. I had plenty of big failures for sure, no doubt about it. Okay. So well everyone have failures. <laughs> Yes, and, they do. And the only thing that matters is what you learn from it. So I want That's to know exactly like, right. well, what you learn from your failure. Well, I learned a handful of things from my failures. Um, don't say yes when you should say no. I just told you that one. So yeah. that's that's a big one. Uh, scoping the project in detail is so critical. And mm. for creatives listening to this, if you don't have a detailed scope in your contract with a client, mm-hmm. you stand the chance of having a massive bad experience, bad project, yeah. unprofitable project based on the client assuming one thing and you assume something else. Uh, it's, it's bad news. So scoping projects in detail. Don't undercharge for the level of effort that you have to put into a project. And uh, I think a lot of creatives make that mistake as well mm-hmm. of undercharging their value. That's yeah. a mistake as well. Yeah. Those are a couple lessons I learned, I think, from from some of the losses and, and pain that I suffered in my business. Okay. And I want to know, like, what other resources helped you throughout your like way and uh, like you, you started Riser in 2002 and I, I born in 2001. So uh, I don't Perfect. think like, <laughs> so I don't think like there are many resources out there at that time. Yeah, there weren't. I read books and I would read a 200 page book, just hoping to find the three pages in it that would motivate me to make changes in my business for the better. Uh, we're really fortunate right now that there is so much content available to help yeah. creative entrepreneurs. I just released a huge course that was that that is every little detail I could put in it as to how my business grew out of my freelance career. I have all the systems and all the templates and my proposals and contracts and how I price things. It's so robust. I had nothing like that. What I what I had, I think, was I had a thirst for knowledge, so I was just reading from everywhere that I could. I had um, a good business sense, mm-hmm. where I was fortunate enough to make more right decisions than wrong decisions, just on my business intuition, and um, and you know, and and then and I was. I think fortunate to have good people skills and that's what helped me be successful as well. Being able to build relationships with people and interact with people and build friendships with my clients so that they trusted me. Um, and I didn't do it to try and get work from them. I did it just because yeah. I like to make friends. I, I like mm-hmm. being on this call with you because now I have a new friend we've connected. <laughs> yeah, I like that in my life. And I think that that um, had a lot to do with the success of my business for sure. Yeah, that's, Hundred percent, it's true. And I yeah. want to know, like, what makes you feel inspired and like your best self? 
Um, what makes me feel like my best self? I think it's, I have three boys and I, I get, I I think I feel like my best self when I see them grow and progress and, and achieve things in their lives that makes me proud as a father. Yeah. I feel like my best self when I get great feedback from somebody who I did a coaching session with and they greenlit a new project or they hired the person that they were trying to hire. They're having a huge billings and and their business is growing. I get great satisfaction out of that. I get great satisfaction when people send me DMs that say, oh, I love your podcast so much and thanks so much. I'm a true fan. I get get messages like that and I love that. Those are the things for me that make me feel like my best self for sure. So it's that validation uh, side of things. That's great. Like it's no more about money. (laughs) Yeah, it's not about money. Yeah. Yeah. And and money really never made me feel like my best self. Mm. I'm grateful for money that I don't have to worry about how I'm going to feed my family tomorrow or the next day or next month. I'm grateful for that. Uh, But money is just, money's just um, evidence of success. It's not what brings you happiness. Yeah. It does bring you comfort and it brings you the ability to take risks that you might not take otherwise. Uh, But it doesn't really, buy happiness yeah. it buys you opportunity i think yeah. it, and there's for sure does like money is not the main success but it helps you achieving the main success it, yeah exactly yeah. yeah i mean like right now because of because i my agency did well and i'm i was able to make a lot of money mm-hmm. i'm able to work from my home yeah i'm able to take my nine-year-old son to school in the morning I'm able to be here at 1.15 when he comes home and give him a hug and eat a snack with him. I'm able to have this interaction with my family. Yeah. And that brings me happiness and joy. Yeah. Not the money itself, but and the opportunity to yeah. have a blessing like that in my life is what where the joy comes from. That's the real wealth. Yeah, that's the real wealth. Yeah. Okay. And I want to know, like, uh, you have more than more experience than my age (laughs) so (laughs) i want to know like what's the one crucial piece of advice you want to give to me (laughs) personally the crucial piece of advice for you is um build and i've said it several different ways but build relationships with people Mm -hmm. just because they because you want to have good relationships with people uh your employees, Mm -hmm. make sure you treat your employees well, because you never know where they're going to go in the future. Uh, Make sure you treat your clients well, because you never know who they know and might refer you to. Yeah. Uh, Build relationships with your competitors, because you never know when you might merge businesses or sell businesses. It's relationships are so critical. You doing this podcast is a great thing because now you and I are friends yeah. and you and bless are friends because you yeah. had him on your podcast. You, you connect with people and those people will be the catalyst to great opportunities for you in the future. Yeah. And if they never generate an opportunity, well, just the nature of having a lot of friends in the world mm-hmm. brings great wealth and satisfaction to your soul. Yeah. So I love 
that I started Instagram push building my audience a year ago. I could go to New Delhi right now and have hundreds of people. I think that New Delhi is New Delhi is one of my biggest cities in my analytics. And I know that I could go there and have hundreds of people. If I said, Hey, we're going to do a meet and greet. I would meet so many people. And I love that. I, it's so brings me so much joy in my life. I love to know that I have friends and connections all over the world that, so, so that's what I think I, that's my biggest piece of advice for you. Do the same thing. Do the same thing. Know that if you ever came to Salt Lake city, Utah in the USA, you could message me and say, Hey Mike, I'm in town. You want to get lunch? And I would say, heck yes, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, there's so much joy that comes out of that for sure. Yeah. And yeah. actually we are planning to to visit US once the this corona pandemic is good. over. <laughs> so That's good. Maybe we'll meet. <laughs> maybe it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, one last question and the most important question of this podcast. Oh. Are you ready for that? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. So, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> oh, my favorite movie. I'm a fan of Rocky. You know, oh, the Rocky movies. Yeah. I love Rocky, the whole, all of them, except for Rocky five. Rocky five wasn't so great, but all the rest of the Rocky movies. And I think it just, I loved them when I was a kid and it's, I just love the underdog story. And I love how everybody can relate to feeling like they're not good enough, mm-hmm. but if they work hard, they can achieve whatever they want to achieve. I love that message. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the Rocky movies are my favorite for sure. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much, sir. Hey, for... wait, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite movie? You got to share that with me. Uh, I'm not kind of a movie guy. I like series, <laughs> but uh, if you, if you talk about movie, I like Avengers. <laughs> oh yeah. The Avengers movie is uh, so good. And I mean, we... you can see my, I have all my nerd toys here on my, Oh yeah. <laughs> my, and I got my Captain America shield right there. You can Whoa. see it up a, yeah. above there. Yeah. That, that's so good. I'm with you on that. I love those <laughs> movies too. So and good. if we talk about series, I, I love Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad. And I'm oh, currently watching pre- Prison Break. <laughs> oh, Prison Break. Yeah. Prison Break was really good for the first like two seasons or so. Yeah. Super, super good. And I kept watching it when it was on originally and it, and it was still good, but it wasn't, those first two seasons are really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much, sir, for coming in and talking to me. Like it's like my dream. And Oh, it's so fun for me. Thank you for having <laughs> me. I, I appreciate it. It was fun. That's great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. We'll see ya.